All right. We're right in the middle of going through the 10 plagues. Exodus chapters 9 and 10 tonight. I'm going to concentrate a bit on chapter 9 and go a little bit quicker in chapter 10. It's kind of how the study worked out for me. And uh, and we have three plagues in chapter 9 and two in chapter 10, although the verses are about the same length. And so we'll kind of go through 10 a little bit faster than 9, but there's some things that uh, I, I was discovering today, and I love to discover God's truth as I go through the Word of God, and I hope that you do too as we come together to worship, to lift up our voices in song, but to especially learn from His Word the things that He would have for us and to really draw analogies, how we can relate His Word to our life today. And I believe there are some relatable things that take place in the Exodus and the accounts of Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh and the well, tonight, the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth plagues. And according to, and I briefly mentioned this at the close of the message last week, according to Numbers 34, 4, God sent the plagues to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. This is the verse that I referred to. I didn't read it last week. Numbers 33, 4 says, For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord executed judgments. And last week, I attempted to relate specific Egyptian gods that could have been part of the judgment that God was bringing upon Egypt as these ten plagues. And they had gods, um, they had a God. They had frogs come up from the river all over the houses, everything in the kneading bowls and the flower. Frogs were everywhere, and they worshipped a God, a female God. She was a female with a frog's head. And I, I looked up, and you can look up online, a, an Egyptian God with a frog's head, and you'll see little figures of this. They worship frogs. We were relating those gods. We'll do that again. We'll connect some things and... Uh, I found some of them interesting, as we'll go through today. So in chapters 7 and 8, we learn that the rod of God turning into a snake, swallowing the rods of Pharaoh's servants once they were snakes, and then becoming a rod again. Well, this sign was followed by four uh, plagues. The first, of course, was the Nile turning into blood, and then all the fish in the Nile dying, and the stink that came of that. They also had frogs, lice, and flies. Someone asked me after church last week, your Bible actually says lice? And I said, yes, it does. It says it right there. Um, mine says gnats. And I was like, okay, mine says lice. <laughs> so that's why I keep saying lice. I, I just keep reading what's written in my text. But with the four plagues, God made the fourth plague with the flies coming upon Egypt. God made a distinction there between Egypt and Israel. No flies were found in the land of Israel where Israel dwelt. Yet Pharaoh's heart, as we learn, and would continue to grow harder and harder. And though he offered Moses a compromise... He did not let the children of Israel go. And in chapters 9 and 10, God brings five more plagues upon Egypt. And by the end of these plagues, the Egyptians would cry out for Israel to leave. And yet, Pharaoh's heart continues to grow harder and harder. And so, I titled this teaching tonight, Plagues, Plagues, and More Plagues. There's actually five that we're going to look at tonight, but I didn't want to title it Five Plagues. I could have said that, five plagues, I guess, but I was thinking plagues, 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 and plagues. But plagues, plagues, and more plagues. Chapter 9, a pride-hardened heart. And chapter 10, that our children may know. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Exodus 9 and open us in prayer. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, 
and still hold them. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, and there will be a very severe pestilence. And so, Father, we pray tonight that you would just be with us as we continue to worship. Lord, we've worshiped in song tonight, and now we want to just learn from your word. We want to hear that which the Spirit is speaking to your church, to this church, this night as we go through uh, these two chapters. And so, Father, help us to have ears that would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this night, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here we have, in the fifth plague, this great pestilence, and it's found in verses 1 through 7, that there is still distinction between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. It would continue during the remaining plagues. In the fifth plague, this great pestilence came and killed all of Egypt's livestock, their cattle, and maybe not all. We'll find that in a later plague they are, with the hail coming, that they are warned to rescue the animals. So maybe God killed a majority, but not all. But the Egyptians' livestock, their cattle, their horses, donkey, camels, oxen and sheep, while all of Israel's livestock remain intact. They had no issue. There was this distinction between the two. And God does this sometimes. Sometimes when trouble comes, both the believer and the unbeliever go through the same or similar troubles. I would never say it's equal because as a believer, we can hold on to our faith. We have an anchor in the midst of the trouble which unbelievers never have. But in Malachi 3, 17 and 18, the word of God tells us, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And here is a discerning that God is doing there in the land of Egypt between those who serve God and those who did not serve him. As we know, Israel, though they've been in the land of Egypt for over 400 years at this point, and they would be delivered 430 years to the day, according to the word of God, they still circumcised their sons they were crying out to the Lord because of the bondage that the Egyptians had placed upon them. They were crying out to the Lord for deliverance. So even after 400 plus years, they still called on the name of the Lord. And God makes clear distinction between the two. And on judgment day, that's how it will be. God will set aside the righteous as his precious jewels, his faithful sons and daughters. And today... That distinction is made through faith in Jesus Christ. So the word tells us, verses 4 through 6, And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. And then the Lord appointed and set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing. On the next day, all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. So to prove that this severe pestilence was of the Lord, God set the date. It's going to start tomorrow. And he also made distinction, saying it's not going to impact Israel's animals, but only the Egyptians. Now, as for the God of Egypt that this possibly could have been against, one of the authors that I looked at last week, and I'm just going to quote what he wrote about this, Alec Goldstein, and this is from an article that he had called The Ten Plagues and Egyptian Mythology. He says, as for the Egyptian God, this plague came against here, too, one struggles to find a clear correspondence. He would say perhaps it was directed against Hathor, who was depicted with the head of a cow. So they've already got one, one god with the 
head of a frog. And I guess, you know, if you got a, a frog god, you might as well have a cow god. So a man depicted with the head of a cow, the frog was a woman depicted with the head of a frog. But also this Hathor, and this comes from Egyptian gods, the complete list. So I've been going, they have a lot of gods. But Hathor, one of the best known, most popular, and most important deities of ancient Egypt, uh, it's a she. She was the daughter of Ra, and in some stories, the wife of Horus, the elder. She was the patron goddess of joy, inspiration, celebration, love, women, women's health, childbirth, and drunkenness. Now, that, that one just sounded weird. Everything's like going, yeah, 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 drunk too. I get joy and inspiration and celebration and love, and I guess if you celebrate too much, you become drunk, and she's that goddess too. The Greeks would name her Aphrodite, and so we're familiar with that name. And she's depicted as a cow or a woman with a cow's head. But in verse 7, it tells us that Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. So he went to check it out. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Last week, we learned of the three Hebrew words that Moses connected to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The quazak it is a word that refers to to fasten upon, to seize, to bind. And it's used ten times, mostly connected with God. Kashaw. It means to be dense, cruel, or to make grievous. And this one refers to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. God instructing Moses in Exodus 7, 3, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make firm, make grievous the heart of Pharaoh. And then quabed, to be heavy, grievous, or to harden, found six times, always used of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And so we discover that Pharaoh first hardened his own heart and continued to harden his heart. Sometimes God made that hardening a little worse, but eventually God would make firm the condition of Pharaoh's heart because he refuses to repent, truly repent. He would, in one of these plagues, we'll see that he asked for forgiveness. He declares that I have sinned and forgive me. He says the words, but... Our fruit is seen, not just by the words that we say, but the fruit that we bear. In Romans 1, 21 and 22, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they were worshiping all these deities rejecting the God who created them and making these little gods out of those things which God had created and distorting the images of those created things. Well, the sixth plague, the boils, verses 8 through 12, and we read picking up in verse 8 and 9, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust on all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils to break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And so here we still have beast. As I said in plague number five, though it said all the livestock, here we have some animals remaining. And the Ronavirus breaks out on the animals as well as the people. Well, it doesn't say that, does it? Sorry, had to throw it in there. We're all living with it, so let's see some connection here. God had Moses to take a handful of ash, it says, from a furnace to scatter it toward the heavens and do this in the sight of Pharaoh. And so verse 10, they did so. They took ash from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward the heaven and they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And I believe God wanted Pharaoh to know from whom the plague came. The ash became as fine dust 
that infected Egypt with boils, both man and beast. And moreover, the plague was so severe that the Egyptian magicians, verse 11 says, could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. So Goldstein states, once again, regarding the Egyptian god that this may have been connected to, that it may have been directed against the gods of healing. Sekhmet, or Isis, are two gods mentioned there, Sekhmet and Isis. I'll, I'll read a little bit from the gods of Egypt of uh, the description of these gods, Sekhmet, one of the most significant goddesses of ancient Egypt, Sekhmet, was depicted as a woman with the head of a lion. Her name means powerful, interpreted as the female powerful one. She was the goddess of destruction and healing of the desert winds and cool breezes. Plagues were known as messengers of Sekhmet, or the slaughterers of Sekhmet. That really stood out to me. Plagues, they connected plagues to this goddess. And God said, Moses, I want you in the sight of Pharaoh, take some ash from the furnace and throw it up in the air because I want Pharaoh to understand the source of this plague, that it didn't come from this Egyptian goddess, but it was from me. Isis, one of the most powerful and popular goddess in Egyptian history, I'm just reading their information on this, she was associated with virtually every aspect of human life and in time became elevated to the position of supreme deity, mother of all gods, who cared for her fellow deities as she did for human beings. She cared for people in life and appeared with them after death to help guide them safely into paradise and some connect isis and the distortion of mother mary the mother of jesus christ and how her role in christianity is sometimes distorted where she becomes a co-redemptress meaning that she helps guide people safely into paradise in that sense some connect a connection between Isis and Mother Mary, but I only say that when they distort Mary and put on her more than what the scripture says of her. And we just need to stick with the word of God. We stick with the word of God. We're in good territory. When we start adding to the word of God, it can get dangerous. So even the great severity of this plague, in verse 12 it says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So his heart, he refused to repent. And so God, as it says in Romans 2.6, will render to each one according to his deeds. Romans 2.5 speaks about the impenitent heart, the heart that refuses to impent, to repent and how he is just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Number seven, hail, breaks out on the land, verses 13 through 35. A lot of scripture connected to this one. But the seventh plague, pride is at the heart of Pharaoh's treatment of the children of Israel, as he and his people had exalted themselves over the children of Israel and made them their slaves. Remember, they were afraid of the children of Israel that they would side with their enemies. So they forced them into this bondage. And thus God said to Moses and Aaron to explain to Pharaoh the purpose of the plagues, which were not only sent in order that Pharaoh would free Israel, but also that his people, that he and his people would know that there is none who is like the Lord in all the earth. In verses 13 through 16, we find the word telling us, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at that time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and all your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence 
then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. So if God had desired to do so, he could have wiped Egypt off the face of the earth. But God said, this is not my purpose. God said, I have raised you up, talking to Pharaoh, I have raised you up that both Pharaoh and his people might know God's great power, which would cause the Lord's name to be declared in all the earth. Last week I had mentioned that 40 years later when the spies would go into Jericho and Rahab would hide the two spies that went there, that she would explain to the spies that all Jericho were frightened because of the Israelites that had gathered at their border. And she said, because we have heard what God did to the Egyptians. The message did go out to the then no earth at that time. God said, I have raised you up. And in Romans 9, 17 and 18, Paul explains, for scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. And so Paul takes and teaches from the Exodus accounts how God can work in individuals' lives, in nations, in kings, in people, to accomplish his purposes upon this earth. In verse 17, it tells us, As yet you exalt yourself against my people, that you will not let them go. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, that Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And God is telling Pharaoh, you still exalt yourself against my people. You are still refusing to let them go. And so in this plague, a very heavy, severe hail that was mingled with fire and mighty thunderings rained down upon Egypt. As devastating as this plague was, God mercifully warns the Egyptians, giving them opportunity to avoid death for themselves, for their servants, and for their animals. As we read in verses 18 and 19, Behold, tomorrow about this time, last Friday we were with some of the Calvary pastors in Illinois, and uh, we were talking about being in Indianapolis last June, and while we were having dinner with Calvary Chapel pastors down there and the wives, a pretty severe hailstorm came into the area. I was just thinking if the Lord would have warned us, I don't know where I would have stuck my truck, but uh, I wouldn't be dinged up the way it is now. So they had warning. It would be nice to get those warnings. Tomorrow, about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down. Such has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, sin now, gather your livestock, all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man, on every animal, which is found in the field and is not brought home. They shall die. So, pretty intense. We've had a few hailstorms over the last few years. I just mentioned one there in Indianapolis last year, and I, I, you know, I wasn't going to run out in the middle of it to go rescue my truck. I didn't know. Somebody did. They had this overhang, and somebody went and got their car and pulled it in the, uh, the overhang of the church, protected their new car, I guess, but it was some pretty big stuff. They brought one in that measured at least two inches long. It wasn't round. It was so weird looking. It was like a, a rectangle with a lot of bumps all over it, and it did some damage. They had warning. So what caused the mercy from the Lord? We've already learned in verse 15, he did not want to cut off Egypt from the face of the earth. It's more than this. And not only did he warn them that they were saved, God has a future work for Egypt that is still not been fulfilled to this day. We'll get to that in a moment. In verse 20 and 21, it says, He who fears the word of the Lord among the servants 
of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And so some believed, some Egyptians said, I'm not taking a chance. Let's bring in the servants, bring in the animals. And they were spared. Others said, how many plagues can it actually, you know, another one? This is number seven. I don't believe it's going to happen. I'll just leave them out in the field. And well, that's how salvation works today, isn't it? Jesus in John 3:36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those who believed, they were spared destruction and harm and death. Those who did not believe, their servants and livestock were killed in those fields. But as I said, God has a future plan for Egypt. As it says in Isaiah 19, 24 and 25, speaking about Israel, Egypt, and Assyria, he says, in that day, Israel, and this is all future, in that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Even God calls Egypt and this is future, second coming of Jesus Christ. Cause Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, Israel, my inheritance. Even though the hail devastated the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel dwelt, no hail fell. Verse 22 through 26, and the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heavens, and there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward the heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck throughout all the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. So once again, God set the children of Israel apart, but devastated Egypt with this hail. So what God could this possibly be? Zayani Savet, connecting the hail and the locusts together, directing them against Seth, a God who manifests himself against the wind and the storms, against Isis, the goddess of life. And so he connected these uh, gods that not only against the animals, the men, but also the fields, the vegetation, the crops, and said that these were likely candidates to this. Seth was a god of war, a god of storms, a god of pestilence, and he is called the instigator of confusion or the destroyer. And that's interesting because the Bible in the ninth plague or the tenth plague, brings the destroyer that God sends, the true destroyer. He is depicted as a red beast with cloven hoofs and a forked tail. This I'm just reading this. Does it sound familiar to you, though? Depicted as a red beast with cloven hook, forked tail, and as a prototype for the Christian's devil, not our, you know how they depict him. Although the Bible doesn't, right? Never in the Bible do we read about the devil having a forked tail or cloven hoofs or being red. But now we know where it came from. For the first time, Pharaoh, though, confesses before Moses and Aaron that he has sinned, that the Lord is righteous, and that he and his people were wicked. Listen to this. 27 through 30. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time, and the Lord is righteous, and my people are wicked. 
and my people and I are wicked, entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of this city, I get this image of Moses. How did he get to the Pharaoh with hail raining down? Was he had this spiritual umbrella over him? As he just walked through, protected? Apparently so. As soon as I get out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Even though Pharaoh did not truly repent, God graciously caused the hail to stop. And although the flax and the barley were destroyed, the Bible tells us that the wheat and the spelts were spared, and God graciously allowing sustenance for the children of Egypt. As we read in verses 31 through 35, we close out the chapter. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax in the bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crop. Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured out on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw the rain, the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And it said also his people harden their hearts against Israel as well. Last week I had referred to Psalm 105 where the psalmist there connects some of the plagues of Egypt. He's talking about the Exodus, but he doesn't talk about all the plagues. He did mention this one though. In Psalm 105 verses 32 and 33, he said he gave them hail for rain and flaming fire on their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. In a similar way, God's grace and mercy is extended to the whole earth. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to provide life to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. But like Pharaoh, pride continues to keep many people from coming to Jesus. Yet one day, God's grace will come to a close. There'll be a point even when Egypt will believe, as I've already read, Egypt will be called God's people. But that's the nation as a whole. God works in individuals. He works in nations. But within those nations, there's always those individuals. Like with the plague of the hail, God gave warning those who believed the word of Moses went out and got their servants and their livestock and brought them into safety. Those who did not, well, their servants and livestock were killed. Pride is always the issue. And it's through forsaking our pride-hardened hearts that we believe in Jesus and are saved. And so again, in chapter 10, I titled this, That Our Children May Know. Verses 1 and 2, it says, God gives us the reason behind the plagues here. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I might show these signs of mine before them, and that you might tell them in the hearing of your sons and of your sons' sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And so Pharaoh the hearts of his servants were hardened against Israel, but God had a purpose behind it that it would be a witness of God's great power and might that Israel would know that God is the Lord and that they also would tell their children and that their children would tell their children's children, so children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, of the mighty things, the great signs that they had done among them. Before the children of Israel went into the promised land some 
40 years later, Moses would write these words in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And this is applicable to our day and age and very applicable to what's happening in our nation right now with the training and teaching of our children. Moses declared, God speaking, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, And these words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Years ago, our country understood that families, they were important in this nation. The nuclear family is what they call it. Mom, dad, kids in the home. We had radio and TV shows. uh, Some of them that I thought of the titles like Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver, uh, The Donna Reed Show, or The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. I believe they were both on radio and TV. And all of these, maybe the beaver, I was going to say all of these before my time. Maybe the beaver got in there a little bit, but I was pretty small, if so. Today, many politicians, especially our government-run schools, believe that they are the best source of information for our children. Yet, this is only because they understand that to change the country's allegiance from family, faith, and freedom, they must first tear down these foundations, those three foundations of family, faith, and freedom. They need to be torn down, And yet God has given us the responsibility to teach our children, our children's children, about the importance of family, of faith, and the freedom that we have, especially in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God has given us a blessing to be in one of the most free countries in our world, that it is being threatened, those freedoms are being threatened today. Joel 1, 3, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. This is what we are supposed to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We are to pass on our faith to our children and to our children's children. We're to tell them of the things that the Lord did. Sing goofy songs that we used to sing when we were younger. But get them excited about the faith. And so he gives reason in verses 1 and 2 of why the plagues that Israel might know that I am the Lord. The eighth plague, verses 3 through 20. As with the previous plague, God gave Pharaoh warning. He spoke through Moses and Aaron saying, picking up in verses 3 and 4, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me and let my people go that they may serve me? Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. So Moses and Aaron went on to explain the severity of this locust upon their nation. In verses 5 and 6, they will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. They shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And so after Moses and Aaron left, Pharaoh's servants came to Pharaoh. In verse 7, now the servants are crying out. It's kind of like you get so fed up in a nation, suddenly truckers are having a convoy across the nation. They get so fed up, they start crying out to their leadership. Here the servants came and said, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Man, we could just tweak these words slightly and speak them in our own capital of the United States. Don't you know that our nation is destroyed? 
The Egyptians recognized that their land has already been devastated. So it was, verses 8 and 9, Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Yet Pharaoh offered them again another compromise he said, just let the men go. And he had a reason behind this, but here's what he said, verses 10 and 11. The Lord had better be with you when you let your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh said, Who's going up with you? And Pharaoh said, "Ah, let me get it right. Pharaoh said, who's going with you? Moses responded, we're taking everyone and everything. And he said, not so. Your, Your men can go, but you have to leave the rest behind. Now he realized that if the men left, they would come back for their possessions, for their family. But when Moses and Aaron refused, Pharaoh drove them out of his presence And so, verse 12 through 15, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat up every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought on the east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when the morning came, the east wind brought locusts, And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. And they were very severe. Previously had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the whole face of the earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. This Goldstein related this to the locusts creating the darkness, but the Bible doesn't say that. We have the plague of locusts and we'll have a plague of darkness, two separate things, but also connected them to the gods of Zeth, Isis, and Men. And so, verses 16 and 17, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in haste and said, He confesses, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sins only this once. Entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So the plague of locusts was devastating, caused Pharaoh to call for Moses and Aaron. He confessed that he had sinned against God and against Moses and Aaron. He asked for forgiveness. He asked that Moses would pray for him. Yet he would not, as John the Baptist warned when he preached in the days of the Gospels, in Matthew 3, 8, that we need to bear fruits worthy of repentance, and Pharaoh would not bear such fruits. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's each person's responsibility to cry out to God. Pharaoh said, pray to God for me, when Pharaoh could have prayed as well. So he went out, verse 18, from Pharaoh, entreated the Lord. As Moses went out, prayed for God to take away the locusts, God reversed the wind that blew them in. And 19 and 20 tells us that there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. He blew them into the sea. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. Again, we find this written in Psalm 105, 34 and 35. It says, He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number. They ate up all the vegetation of their land and devoured the fruits of their ground. And then finally, the ninth plague, darkness, verses 21 through 29. We begin in verses 21 through 23. The Lord spoke to Moses. 
stretch out your hand toward heaven, and that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So without warning, this ninth plague came. There was no advance warning. It's going to be dark tomorrow. Get your oil lamps ready. In fact, it gives a sense that the darkness was so thick that lighting a fire or lamps did no good. People just sat down for three days and did not move. So in the Egyptian mythology, the plague of darkness would have been a humiliation of the sun god, Ra. Day and night were envisioned by the Egyptians as in constant struggle, locked in a battle. And three days of darkness would have convinced them that the god of darkness had overtaken the god of light. But once again, God made distinction in the land of Israel. It said they had light in their dwellings, but Egypt had darkness, a darkness that could be felt. Darkness and light. Where did we hear this before? Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. There is no struggle between darkness and light when it comes to God. We may have those struggles, but God doesn't. Once again, Pharaoh offers a compromise. This time, he says all their people could go, but they have to leave the animals behind. And Moses stood firm. I think this is important. I believe in the United States and our world, we're going to come to a time where the church is, we're already being compromised. And the more we give up, the more they want. And we have to learn to stand firm, even if it costs. So verses 24 through 27, Pharaoh called to Moses saying, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones go also with you. But Moses said, you must give us sacrifices, burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock shall also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must serve the Lord our God until we arrive there. So we don't know what animal we might need. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. So at this point, Pharaoh banishes Moses from his presence. He says, verses 28 and 29, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. They actually would. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh would call for Moses one last time but only when Pharaoh gives in to their demands to let the children of Israel go. As parents, we are to teach our children and our children's children the mighty things that God has done and the signs that he has given that our children may grow to know and love the Lord. And we live in a country right now that's challenging that, and I fear it'll challenge more. Um, Just a few weeks ago, I've had on my heart, and I'm, I was thinking about it today again, and I think on the third Wednesday, so in two weeks, Dave, we're going to do a communion Wednesday night, like we used to do. In two weeks, the third Wednesday of each month, what I used to do before the pandemic came, I used to talk about world events, and I would take one Wednesday out of the month, and we'd have communion, and I would take just catch us up on things that's going on in the world. And I, I, to be honest with you, I be, we're all overwhelmed with everything that's going on, but it keeps coming. So we need to get back to this again. And what I had a thought is I need to teach about what the Bible speaks about 
male and female, because we certainly in our country can't understand these plain truths today. Well, John MacArthur taught on this subject just a few weeks ago, and he was that teaching was taken off of YouTube for disinformation. And all he said was what the Bible says. So we have to stand firm. And so in a few weeks, I'm going to say what the Bible says, and maybe our social media accounts will not like me at that point. But that's okay. For those who are watching on the social media accounts, sorry. But we have to learn to stand firm. So, But I think this is important, too, because things are getting so twisted, and we just need to hear the truth of God's Word. And uh, I just feel the Lord would have me go in this direction. So we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Next week, we'll continue in Exodus chapters 11 and 12. 11 is really short. 12 is really important passage in the Bible because not only does it set up the Passover, it gives us a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So some good teaching coming up, Lord willing. Let's go ahead and stand and close in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. These plagues that came upon Egypt, although we wish none of these things to come upon our nation, we understand pestilence a little better now. As we've been in the middle of this mess for the last couple of years. And, Lord, church is being challenged on faith issues and more challenges coming. So help us, Lord, to take lessons from the book of Exodus, to stand firm in the truths of your word, like Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel did. I know, Lord, that they struggled at times, but overall, Lord, you did the work that you desired to do, not only through Israel, but ultimately through Egypt. And one day, Lord, you said, I will call Egypt my people. So you have a future for this country that still is on this planet to this day. One day, Lord, you will call them my people. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that through faith in your name, we're all the children of God. For those who believe in the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and receive that gift of salvation. Help us, Lord, to be messengers of that to others, but especially to our children and to our children's children. Help us, Lord, to not only believe in Jesus, but to share our faith with our family and with those we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, for Joseph, who came through this heart surgery. As far as I know at this point, he came through the surgery, still doing well. We just pray that he would continue to do so, bring healing to his body. Complete healing, we pray, Lord. We ask that you'd be with his family as they no doubt had great concerns for their father, grandfather, great-grandfather. Watch over them, I pray. We thank you and we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.